0: I want to. I got one more, a little announcement to make. I'm excited about this. Um, I've shared with some of you. I have felt of the Lord the last uh, several months to really recapture the idea of equipping the saints. And from the from the onset, vi- the Vineyard movement has really been about equipping people for kingdom living and equipping people for ministry. So this last year, we've started that. Uh, so far this year, we've taught a class on how to study the Bible. We've taught small group leadership. Uh, I th- I think we taught one more, but I can't remember what it was right now. Um, but I have another class coming up in September we're gonna be doing, and it's called Kingdom Economics. Uh, and I'll tell you, I've been reading and, and studying and praying about this the last couple of weeks, and I'm really excited about it. Um, it's our conviction that uh, the kingdom of God, it, 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 every, every kingdom has a king, right? And so if you are under the rule of Jesus, if he's your king, that should impact every aspect of our lives and that there is probably no more stressful aspect of life than our finances and our money. And so I'm going to to really dive into what does it look like to submit our finances to the rule of Jesus in our lives. Uh, The first week, I'm going to do it in three weeks. It's going to be a ton of information. It's going to be very fast-paced. The first week we're going to look at Uh, a basic theology of stewardship, as well as some history of economics in our country. And then the second two weeks, the second, third week, we're going to get very, very practical. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know, all kinds of issues, uh, giving, spending, saving, things like that. But we're also going to try, I'm really going to try to answer some of the hard questions that people have regarding things like uh, credit and bankruptcy and and just all, all sorts of uh, things related to our finances and questions people have today. I really believe this is an area that's super, super important. I believe, I believe there's a lot of um, not great teaching out there, to be honest, in the church today about about money, and so we're going to try to really get into a, a solid biblical approach to the economy and to our finances in our lives. So that'll be Thursday nights in the youth room, first three weeks of September, and we'll have a sign-up for that beginning probably, I don't know, next week maybe. Uh, So we've been talking, if you haven't been here, about evangelism lately. I think I've done three messages on evangelism thus far. And my hope is that what I've really endeavored to communicate is this, that evangelism should be an authentic, genuine outgrowth of our relationship with Christ. It shouldn't be something we're afraid of. It shouldn't be something that we have to think about or program to do. It really should be a natural progression of who we are in Christ. That's why we're here. We, we talked about talking about what you love. And if, you're, if we say we love you, Jesus, we sing it every week. If we really do, uh, then we would naturally talk about that with others. So I hope that's what we've communicated thus far. Today we're going to continue, and I'm actually going to shift gears just a tiny bit today, and I want to talk about a little something called power evangelism. That is a term that will be familiar to some of you. How many of you are familiar with that term? Okay, good. Half or more. Uh, Not familiar with others. Uh, And so we'll talk a little bit about what that is and what it looks like a little more closely. It's going to be kind of fun. Uh, We're going to take some time in a little bit and do what we call a clinic or kind of a show-and-tell, a little practice practice. Uh, session on this uh, this morning, just to kind of you know wet your whistle a little bit. But let's pray and then we'll we'll get into it. Okay, Father, just open your word to us today. Help us to receive what you have for us, and lead us and guide us in all that we do, uh, and help us to grow into the people you've called us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, power evangelism is a term that was coined by John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. In fact, it was the title of john 's uh, first book it was called power evangelism and i I uh, screenshot the uh, Amazon link for it there just so you can see that um, it 's available you can buy it for i think it 's sixteen bucks in paperback. Uh, I would highly recommend if you've never read this book to read it. It would be really cool if you read it over the next couple of weeks while we're talking about it and kind of follow it along with me. Uh, that w- that would be uh, super exciting. John wrote the book in 1986, um, and he, interestingly, uh, in 2001, Christianity Today magazine surveyed. They did a survey of leaders, Christian leaders around the world, including uh, seminary presidents and professors. Uh, pastors, theologians, teachers, and they asked them what books that were written in the last hundred years in the 20th century influenced your thinking the most. And uh, out of that survey, uh, and there's a copy of the original version of it. Uh, That's the one I have. It's a little tattered. Uh, Power Evangelism came out number 12. 12th most influential book on, on evangelical thinking written in the 20th century. Um, so I bring that up just to say, one, it's a, it's a concept and an idea that has far uh, outgrown the vineyard movement. It's really something that others have thought about and considered, and at, at least uh, thought about and considered, if, if not tried to implement into their own lives. I find the list interesting. Uh, the thing that interests me the most is number 17 and 18, Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Both came in behind Wimber's book. Uh, I mean, Cost of Discipleship, come on, that, that is a classic. So that's just in terms of influence on, on the evangelical church today, uh, 12th book in, written in the 20th century. So to me, it, it's, it's, it's a powerful and important concept. Um, what are we talking about? What does it mean when we say power evangelism? What is that? Uh, so there's a few things. One is this: it's following the leading of the Holy Spirit and incorporating the gifts of the Spirit in our evangelistic efforts, um, instead of just. You know, here's when I was growing up in the '70s, uh, we would we would practice witnessing, and so we would write kind of our testimony on a three by five card. Anybody do that, right? And then we would practice sort of the you know, the four spiritual laws or the steps that it takes, and we would learn to go share that with other people now there 's nothing wrong with that that's, that's a, I think those are all very good practices to do but What power evangelism does is sort of opens the door to allow the Spirit into that process. So rather than just a pre-programmed sort of spiel that you're going to share with somebody, there's also the idea that you're being led by the Spirit in in your endeavors and then incorporating the gifts of the Spirit, including word of knowledge, prophecy, healing, and then deliverance, although deliverance is not a gift of the Spirit, but a deliverance uh, into that process as we share with others. Uh, so, so that's really what it is in a nutshell. So therefore, it includes two things. Rather than just simply proclamation or, or sharing, it includes proclamation and demonstration. It's sharing and demonstrating uh, that the kingdom of God is here. That, that Jesus is alive and well, and that his presence and his power are available to us today. This is what Jesus did, and we will look at this today, and we'll look at it in the, in the weeks ahead. Uh, this was the method that he employed. He, he would very often uh, demonstrate the kingdom of God in some form. He would multiply food, he would heal someone, he would deliver someone, he would raise the dead, and then he would talk about the kingdom and share the gospel. So the show-and-tell proclamation demonstration method It's very much the method of Jesus. The third thing is, according to John in his book, he says, this will increase our effectiveness in sharing our faith and leading people to Christ. Um, So again, persuasion, you you can talk with someone and and try to debate or argue, you know, the kingdom of God with them for a long time, and you might persuade them over time. Uh, But if if they see and experience the presence of God in a tangible, real way in their own life, that's a game-changer, isn't it? You know, all the rules go out the window at that point. And so it's, it, it, again, is highly, highly effective in terms of our ability to really communicate who Jesus is. Um, and then the next thing on there is that this was the preferred and most effective method of the New Testament church. And again, that's not conjecture. That's not just John's idea. Uh, that that's not just uh, you know you know a, a, a hope and a dream. It, it really it really was the most effective and preferred method of not only Jesus but his disciples, and then th- those that were influenced by his disciples. And we'll look at illustrations over the next few weeks of people like Philip and others who employ this method of evangelism. Uh, and it's really what you see all through the book of Acts. It, 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 it cracks me up sometimes because you'll hear very often, we need to get back to the New Testament church. We need, we need to get back to the book of Acts. That's that, the New Testament church. You talk about stuff like this, people go, no, we don't want to do that. I mean, well, the problem is that's what the New Testament church did, I think. Uh, I don't know. It looks like my Bible says that um, for some of you, this you might be going wow that 's kind of crazy i don 't want you to get weirded out or anything like that um, it really isn 't it really isn 't as wild and crazy as it sounds We, we have a, the last little thing point there, naturally supernatural is a, a term we use in the vineyard, and it really means this that it really grows out of again who we are in Jesus. it just comes out of our life with him you don 't have to be you know, prophetic and have hair on fire and be wild and talk in King James English. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to get loud. Uh, in the course of conversation, I'll share an experience I had a few weeks ago with you this morning, but there's dozens of people around and and people in this room that could share with you experiences they have all the time in the course of life. It's not weird at all. You're just conversing with people and talking to them about who Jesus is, and he gives you insight that you share, and then you kind of go from there. Uh, so it's, it's not a, a strange or crazy weird thing. It really is kind of a, uh, a progression of our relationship with Christ. Uh, I want to look at one example today in the life of Jesus. We're not going to take a long time because we are going to take a little time to do some ministry at the end. So I'll, I'll try to be as quick as I can be here. But uh, this is sort of, I think, maybe the most classic example of this. And I'm sure you've all heard the story before, but it's Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Let's read these first few verses. Now, he had to go through Samaria. And you guys know there's tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? (coughs) So (coughs) let me frame this this way. This is an encounter with another person that uh, he doesn't know, okay? So this is, you meet someone that you've never met before. So this is not all that different than any encounter any of us might have any day. We may not be at a well. We may be at the grocery store or the gym or the park or some other place that we would normally be. But what this really is, is just sort of a, of a, of an, of a meeting and encounter with another person that you don't know. A, a very natural sort of thing. How many of you run into people and say hello to somebody you've never seen before on a regular basis? Well, you all do. Uh, if you go to Starbucks, you say hello to, you talk to your barista, right? You talk to do people. are they nice to you? Sometimes. I'm always nice. Tip your barista, people. Uh, uh, you know, this, this happens all, all the time. So we could say, on one level, you could say, well, this is just a random encounter, right? It's a random encounter. I want to challenge you to think about that a little differently. Uh, There's something we call a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is, is a change in our thinking that allows us to see something differently than we've seen it before, okay? So we could say that we meet these people, they're random encounters, and I'm sure that some of them are, but what if... What if certain times certain places, certain people were not random, but there were actually what we call a divine appointment what if what if they were orchestrated by God that it was his intent that you would meet that person that day and have a conversation with them? Um, two weeks ago I was I went to, a few weeks ago I went to nicaragua and uh, on the way over i I bought, I bought a book I, I saw uh, you know on my uh, my Amazon account it does those. The marketing thing, it, you know, pops up books that are like books that you've read. So I had done a number, I read a number of books on community and small groups uh, in prep for our small group class, actually. And this book popped up that looked kind of interesting to me. It's called Tribe. It's by a guy named Sebastian Younger. Anybody know who he is? He wrote The Perfect Storm. So he's a journalist. He's not a, it's not, he's not a novelist or a theologian by any means, he's a journalist. And I read a couple of his other books. I like him. So uh, the book was about You know, it said on homecoming and belonging was the subtext. So I thought, this is interesting. I wonder what he has to say about this. So I ordered it, and I read it on the plane on the way over. Well, as it turns out, what it's about really is PTSD and soldiers that have suffered from, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress coming home from the war. And the conclusion of the book is this, that the proven most effective way to deal with that disorder in a person's life is to put them in a small group. The most effective way of bringing healing to someone who's had traumatic stress in their life is to put them in a community of people that cares about them and will walk through their pain with them. Unbelievable. So, the point is this. What's the point of the story? On the airplane on the way over to Nicaragua, I read this book. I found out as I was preparing for my trip that I had some unused United Air miles, so I uh, used them to upgrade to first class for the trip home. Thank you very much. And uh, so I get on the plane on the way home. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I've been in 90 degree humid, gross weather for 10 days. I, I'm just, I just, man, I'm just, oh, first class. I get in, I sit down, and this, this uh, young gal comes and sits down next to me, so we start talking. Uh, you know, and one thing leads to another. Uh, so what do you do? I work for Wounded Warriors Project. Really? Interesting. Now, that's super interesting because on the way over, I read this book called Tribes. She goes, yeah, by Sebastian Younger. She goes, we all read it. I go, it just came out two months ago. She goes, I know. We had to read it. She goes, it's the most important thing we've read in years. And so we start talking about healing and about community and about small groups. And I encourage her in her ministry. And I talk to her about what she's doing. And I end up praying for her. So, Was that random? I don't know. I don't know. Was it a random encounter? Or was it a divine appointment? I felt as though God brought this person into my life. I, could, I was able to encourage her in, in, in the thing that she's been called. I mean, you know, she's a young gal. She's tatted up, and she, you know, she just looks like this young hipster, but she's focused her life on helping to care for people that have been suffering from this disorder, that have come home from war. I said, God bless you for what you're doing. I mean, I, I felt like I was really able to encourage her. So the point of the story is simply this, that God will ordain those little opportunities for us to bring encouragement and life and healing and salvation if we will look for them. My my personal conviction is that they're out there all the time and that most of them we miss. And we miss them simply because we're not aware. We're just not aware. Now, I am not going to say that everybody we encounter and everybody we meet is a divine appointment, but but I am going to say that I think some are. I have had, it's, it's this is the way it works, you know, So I've been thinking about this and and rereading John's book and kind of praying about it. And in the last three weeks, I've had uh, at least three uh, significant divine appointments that, uh, you know, all of a sudden they start happening, right? Why? Because I'm thinking about it, because I'm paying attention. So the reality is most of the time I'm just too busy to... um, Notice what God's doing in my life. So I would encourage you to prayerfully consider that in your life. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised if you do. Um, because this woman is a Samaritan, and because of the tension between Samaritans and Jews, <coughs> oh. <laughs> that I, I couldn't do that again if I tried. Uh, I'm sorry, my throat, this is my, whatever it is, my thorn in the flesh is this thing I get in my throat. Um, So so she's talking to Jesus, but she's concerned and she asks some questions, you know. And so this conversation develops and they talk about the well and water. And then you know the story, the dialogue leads to, to living water. And they're talking about living water. It's a weird conversation. And then this happens. The woman said to him, sir. Give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And Jesus says, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So what Jesus is doing here is incorporating the gifts of the Spirit into sharing the gospel, okay? What he just did, she called him a prophet. What he actually had was a word of knowledge. You know, and sometimes people ask me, what's the difference between the two? So I just real simply, I think both are revelatory gifts of the Spirit that give us information that we wouldn't have known otherwise. Word of knowledge typically deals with something that's happened in the past or the present, Prophecy deals with something that's happened in the present or future. So that's kind of a very, very simplistic look at that. Um, But again, a word of knowledge is a bit of information. Very often it's in regard to uh, a healing. Sometimes, you know, somebody will say, I think there's somebody here that has, uh, you know, plantar fasciitis or something, some physical condition. You have that. Okay, so I see. I just had one, and I didn't even know it. Um, other times, it might be other information like Jesus had here about her past. Uh, sometimes it's easy. Uh, sometimes it's a little more challenging because, like in, in this situation here, these are probably things she maybe would not have wanted him to know. And and sometimes it, God will reveal someone's sin to us and call upon us to share that with him. Uh, One of the stories in John's book, which is just a precious little story, is uh, he's on an airplane, and he sits down, again, you know, like I was, tired from his trip, just wanting to chill, and he looks across the aisle, and he sees, in in, in the spirit, not in natural, but in the spirit, the word adultery written across this guy's head, and then he gets a a woman's name. So he leans over to the guy, and he says the name of the woman. And the guy goes, "Uh, I have to talk to you. So they leave and go to another part of the plane, And the guy confesses, that name of that woman you just said is the woman I'm having an affair with. And the woman seated next to me on the plane is my wife. And so John shares the gospel with them and says, you need to deal with this. Um, And go back and talk to your wife. And and the guy did. But the point is simply this, that sometimes there'll be uh, something that might be, the the risk level goes up. Okay, And and that brings me to our our next point today, which is faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Look, let me say this. There's always a measure of, of risk involved. It might be little or it might be big, but there's always a measure of risk. If, if we say we have faith, but we're not willing to take a risk or act upon it, is it really faith or is it just a good idea? We have to be willing to act upon it. There is always a measure of risk involved. God is gracious. God is good. Uh, we're going to take time and and, and and, you know, just try this a little bit this morning in an environment where it's safe and secure. No one's going to get mad and yell at you. Okay, I promise. Sometimes people get mad and yell at you, don't they? Yes, they do. But no, thank you. But not always. So we'll we'll do this. But there's always some risk involved. There's always some risk involved. Um, So we'll do that in about one minute. Let me just wrap up with the last little bit of our story here. Uh, So uh, Jesus ends up sharing a little further, and then she, she uh, goes back and, and uh, meets with the people of her little community, and she sa- says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, now we have heard for ourselves. We know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Um, power evangelism. Not only did she believe, but many others believed. And I really believe that that opportunity presents itself today. As we step out in faith, we're willing to take a risk. We're listening and incorporating the, the, the ministry and the work of the Spirit into our lives. Um, and, you know, And look, I, I get it, okay? He's Jesus, we're not, right? Isn't that what everybody's thinking? Um, But the truth is that there are examples all through Scripture that we'll look at uh, in the Gospels with the disciples, in the Book of Acts with many other people, and there are examples all through history and contemporary examples and examples in the lives of people here today that have opportunities like this and share these things and see things like this happen all the time. It it, it really is something that God has called us to do. Um, Last thing, and then we'll pray, is, you know, what we call the Great Commission, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because all authority has been given to Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that's what we've been commanded to do. We have been commanded to be representatives of Jesus, to make disciples, to lead people to him today. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. If we're not doing that, we're really not doing uh, what we're here to do. So I'm going to Go ahead and pray now and ask the Spirit to minister to us. And I'm going to ask him to give uh, words of knowledge. And I know some of you are familiar with that process and have received words of knowledge before. And so if you would like, this is just a wonderful stand. Um, If you would like to respond and share word of knowledge, then that'll be great. Then we'll go from there. But then after we do a couple, maybe, I would like some of you who are not familiar with that process and not heard from the Lord before really open up and listen and and take a risk and see if God doesn't show you something as well.